Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and I hope to make my co-host Katie embrace her new name by having her say it often in response to a punishing number of play on words. Oh, for fuck's sake, Ellen. Moving on. Let's... Oh. Do I really have to say this? Yep. (sighs) Let's fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the second half of chapter 15 and the really not corresponding film scenes. Angelina has had it with her star seeker seeking out all of the trouble. McGonagall has had it with the interrupting cow in her classroom. Hermione has had it with Umbridge interfering with her schooling. Ron has had it with not poisoning bitches who deserve it. We have had it with the movies cutting out badass scenes that are badass and should be in because they're fucking badass. And Pain King Potter really only makes things worse for himself. But maybe that's his goal. During episode 145, Keep Calm and Harry On, our Potter pondering was, do you think Harry's previous experiences against the dark arts were just luck or was there actual skill involved? Hmm? Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter pondering. Do I think that Harry is actually skilled in the dark arts or is it mostly luck? And I'm going to say it is a good combination of both. Just speaking on the series in general, Harry defeated the Dark Lord accidentally on purpose. That was Dumbledore orchestrating his whole life to the best of his ability and then 73% Hermione. And that's that on that. But speaking on Harry's skill in defense against the dark arts in general, he is obviously skilled he is the defense against the dark arts teacher this year he is and mind you he is doing this with minimal education himself he had one good teacher remus and then fake ass imposter jr crouch that's it he had tutoring on the side for one fucking spell and that's how he get how he is today come on now he's obviously skilled They don't have a teacher this year. They have a pasty bitch in pink fucking with them all year. Harry is the teacher. And on top of that, not only did he teach these kids this shit this year, he led a handful of them, a couple of them, air quotes, the school misfits, into combat with actual Death Eaters. And not one of those damn kids died. Not one of them. Come the fuck on. Harry is obviously skilled. I remember reading this as a kid. My anxiety through the roof. JK, if you kill another fucking kid, we gonna fight. You already killed a kid last year. Don't you kill no more fucking kids in this book. And nobody died. With Harry being their defense against the Dark Arch teacher. Fighting actual Death Eaters. Come on now. He is obviously skilled. Obviously. And... Apparently, I had way too much hope in J.K. Rowling caring about motherfucking kids because look how the series ended. Y'all know that fuck with me. But y'all gonna stop fucking with my boy Harry. He got skills. Don't be talking shit about my boy. 
Hey Alan, hey Katie, Jackson here with this week's Potter Pondering. I think that it's a mix. Yeah, there's always some luck involved when you're fighting for your life, but Harry does have genuine skill in defence against the Dark Arts, and that came into play every time he faced Voldemort, every time he faced some kind of obstacle. His skills saved him, as well as a little bit of luck. Hey, Ellen. Hey, Katie. This is Jessica calling in my thoughts on the pondering. For this week, Harry definitely has the skill. It's just typical of him not to give himself the proper credit for his abilities, just like when he told Fake Moody that he was only a fair flyer when he was actually brilliant at Quidditch. Yes, Ron and Hermione helped him get through the protections in place to get to Quirrell and the Sorcerer's Stone, but he still used his wits to lie and then to know that his touch was lethal to Quirrell. The Chamber of Secrets, he fought off the giant-ass snake with a sword. Sure, he was pierced by his fang, and that's why he needed help from Fox. I mean, we all know this. But the rest of the actual fighting, he did on his own. Prisoner of Azkaban, that truly was his skill as summoned such a powerful Patronus that even Snape said that it was so amazing. Time turner or not, he still produced it. And then he did it again to send off more Dementors when he and Deadly were attacked. Granted, there were only two that time, but, I mean, he was disoriented after Dudley just punched him in the head, so. Then in Goblet of Fire, he bested a dragon, Grindelow, Sphinx. He was able to control himself under the Imperius curse. He held his own against Voldemort before their wand connection, and he gained help from the Priori and Cantartum ghosty people that come out of the wand, whatever. Then he successfully evaded, like, all the Death Eaters trying to kill him after that and got himself and Cedric's body safely back to Hogwarts. He may have had help, there may have been some luck involved, but if he didn't have the skills, then he definitely would have been dead in year one. So, like I said, he just doesn't give himself the credit for it, which is just typical Harry Potter. Hi, ladies, this is Tom. I'm replying to the Ponder Pottering on whether or not if Harry's victories were dumb luck or something else. Well, as a fan of sci-fi t- show Farscape, I've always wondered if Harry's inner monologues and whatnot are him talking to the Horcrux or just narrative licensing. So I've decided that, yeah, it's probably subconsciously the Horcrux helping him out to deal with such matters because, well, the Horcrux at this point did not realize that Voldemort was alive until a year. And that's my answer. Bye. Hello, this is David calling for the Potter Pondering. Uh, was Harry's previous experience any skill? Oh, for fuck's sake. Give me a stick break. That kid before uh, the end of movie three was just a moron. So that was totally luck in every circumstance. Right place, right time, wrong time, something. All of his meddling. He was so lucky to get out of those situations. But once he learned to do a Patronus and then things got real uh, after Prisoner of Azkaban, then he kind of matured up and he put some feeling behind his spells. He understood exactly that it came from the heart. And then after that, he became a pretty darn good wizard. You know, all things considered. See ya! Thank you so much for your responses.
Our trivia question last week was, how much does Harry pay for three butterbeers at the Hogshead? He pays six sickles for the three very dusty, dirty bottles of butterbeer. Yeesh. Yum. Congratulations goes to Megan Slater. Woohoo! She's back after some internet mishaps the previous week. Will she be starting her streak up again? We shall see. For now, let's dive into the first half of Chapter 16, In the Hogshead, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 16, In the Hogshead, Part 1. Hermione doesn't bring up Harry giving defense against the dark arts lessons for a whole two weeks after the first time. Harry's detentions with Umbridge are finally over, though he doesn't think the words now etched into the back of his hand will ever fade entirely. Ron has had four more Quidditch practices, two of which he wasn't shouted at during, and all three of them have managed to vanish their mice in Transfiguration. But come the end of September, while the three are in the library looking up potion ingredients for Snape, Hermione randomly asks Harry if he's given defense against the Dark Arts any more thought. Harry doesn't answer immediately because the truth is, he's actually given it a great deal of thought. Sometimes he still thinks it's insane, other times he finds himself planning lessons that he could teach. Eventually, he slowly says that he's thought about it a bit, but he still doesn't know. Ron speaks up to reiterate that he thinks it's a good idea, and Harry asks them if they listen to the part about it being a lot of luck. Hermione says yes, but at the same time, there's no point in pretending that he isn't good at defense against the dark arts because he is. He was the only one who could throw off the Imperius curse completely, can produce a Patronus, and can do all sorts of stuff that full-grown wizards can't. Hermione tells Harry that Victor always said that Harry knew how to do stuff that even he didn't and he was in his final year at Durmstrang. This makes Ron a little jealous and he suspiciously asks Hermione if she's still in contact with him. She asks so what if she is, saying that she can have a pen pal if she wants, but Ron cuts her off to accusingly point out that he wanted to be more than a pen pal. Hermione exasperatedly shakes her head, but otherwise ignores him, and just asks Harry what he thinks. Harry asks if she just means for her and Ron, but Hermione anxiously tells him that she thinks he should teach anyone who wants to learn, since it's about defending themselves against Voldemort. Harry doesn't think anyone else would want to be taught by a nutter like him, but Hermione thinks he might be surprised and suggests they tell anyone interested to meet them in Hogsmeade during their visit the first weekend in October. Ron wonders why they have to meet outside of school, and Hermione explains that she doesn't think Umbridge would be very happy if she found out. Harry is really looking forward to the weekend trip to Hogsmeade, but is also worried that Sirius may still decide to show up in dog form, since he remained in stony silence since their chat in the fire at the beginning of September. Ron is sympathetic and says they can't blame him for wanting to get out and about. He's been on the run for over two years and is now just shut up with that lunatic elf. Hermione scowls at Ron for the slight on creature, but otherwise ignores it just saying that the trouble is that until Voldemort comes out in the open, Sirius will just have to stay hidden since the Ministry won't accept that he's innocent until they accept that Dumbledore is telling the truth. Ron tries to comfort Harry by saying he doesn't think Sirius is stupid enough to turn up, 
especially since Dumbledore would go mad, and he listens to Dumbledore even if he doesn't like it. Harry still looks worried, so Hermione changes the subject, telling him that she and Ron have been sounding out people who might be interested in proper defense against the dark arts lessons, and there are a couple who seem interested. Harry distractedly says right, still thinking about Sirius, so Hermione tells him not to worry since he has enough on his plate already. This is accurate since he's barely keeping up with his homework, though that has improved since he's no longer spending every evening in detention with Umbridge. Ron is actually further behind than Harry since in addition to their Quidditch practices, he also has prefect duties. However, Hermione, who is taking more subjects than either of them, and has prefect duties, manages to finish all of her homework and find time to knit more elf clothes, and Harry can even tell the difference between the hats and the socks now. The morning of the Hogsmeade visit is bright but windy. They line up in front of Filch after breakfast so he can match their names to the list of students with permission to visit the village. When it's the trio's turn, Filch gives a great sniff as though he's trying to detect a whiff of something on Harry. He nods, and as they walk away, Ron asks why Filch was sniffing him. Harry remembers that he never told them about Filch thinking he was ordering dung bombs and fills them in on the story. Hermione finds it extremely interesting, wondering who tipped him off and remains in deep thought all the way into Hogsmeade. Harry asks if they're going to the Three Broomsticks, and Hermione comes out of her reverie to explain that it's too packed and noisy, and she thinks the other pub off the main road, Hogshead, will give them more privacy. They make their way down the main street, past Zonko's joke shop, and the post office, and then turn up a side street with a small inn at the top of it. A battered wooden sign with a picture of a boar's severed head hangs above the door and creaks as they approach. They hesitate outside the door until Hermione nervously ushers them in. Harry leads the way and they find a small, dirty room that smells strongly of goats. He remembers back to his first year when Hagrid mentioned getting a lot of funny folk in the hogshead and now understands exactly what he meant. There's a man whose entire head is wrapped in dirty gray bandages sitting at the bar, managing to drink endless glasses of something smoking through a slit over his mouth. Two figures in hoods near one of the windows that look like Dementors aside from their Yorkshire accents, and a witch by the fireplace wearing a thick black veil that goes all the way to her toes. Harry tells Hermione that he isn't sure about this, worried that it could be Umbridge under that veil, but Hermione insists that Umbridge is shorter than that witch, and it's not like they're doing anything wrong by being there. Plus, she looked up everything that she can about homework groups and study groups, and they're definitely allowed. She just doesn't think it's a good idea to advertise what they're doing. Harry dryly agrees, especially since it's not exactly a homework group that they're planning. At this point, the grumpy-looking barman, who's tall with a great deal of long gray hair and a beard, sidles up to them and grunts, what? Hermione asks for three butterbeers, and he pulls some dusty bottles from under the counter and tells them six sickles. Harry pays for them, and the barman briefly glances at his scar before looking away. The trio retreats to the table the furthest from the bar and sits down looking around. Ron murmurs that he thinks they could order anything they like here and considers ordering a fire whiskey before Hermione reminds him that he's a prefect. Harry asks who's supposed to meet them there, and Hermione again says that it's just a couple of people and they should be there about now. 
At these words, the door opens and a crowd of people enter the pub, including Neville, Dean, Lavender, Parvati, Padma, Cho, and one of her friends, Luna, Jenny, the Gryffindor Quidditch team, Lee Jordan, Colin and Dennis Creevy, Ernie McMillan, Justin Finch-Fletchley, Hannah Abbott, a Hufflepuff Harry doesn't know, three Ravenclaw boys called Anthony Goldstein, Michael Corner, and Terry Boot, plus a blonde boy Harry recognizes as a member of the Hufflepuff Quidditch team. He calls Hermione out on her use of the phrase a couple people, and Hermione happily tells him that the idea was quite popular. She asks Ron to pull up more chairs, and the barman freezes in the act of wiping out a glass. Fred approaches him and quickly counts their companions to order 25 butter beers. The barman irritably begins to pass them over the bar, and Fred passes them out, telling everyone to cough up the money for him. Harry watches, concerned that this group might be expecting some kind of speech from him and turns to Hermione to ask what she's been telling people. Hermione tries to soothe him by explaining that they just want to hear what he has to say and promises that he doesn't have to do anything yet, she will speak to them first. Neville takes the seat opposite Harry and smiles as he says hi to them. Harry tries to smile back but can't speak since his mouth has gone exceptionally dry. Cho also smiles at him as she sits to Ron's right, but her friend, who has curly reddish-blonde hair, gives Harry a mistrustful look. As everyone settles in and stares at Harry, Hermione speaks out to greet them, and they all turn to her instead, though their eyes do occasionally dart back towards Harry. She starts off explaining that they're there because she had the idea to get people together who want to really study defense against the dark arts, as opposed to the rubbish that Umbridge is doing with them because nobody would call that defense against the dark arts. The movie starts out on the transition shot as the camera zooms through a window in the Gryffindor common room on the stormy night. It travels through the dark, the rain, and a cloud that looks suspiciously like Voldemort's face as his voice is heard eerily whispering Harry's name, before showing a hint of light emerging from behind the mountains, and then zooming in on the town of Hogsmeade as dawn breaks and the whole scene lightens. It shifts to Harry, Ron, and Hermione walking down a narrow path in the snow towards the Hogshead as Harry rants that it's mad and no one will want to be taught by him since he is a nutter. Ron tells him to look on the bright side, saying that he can't be any worse than old Toadface, which earns him a sarcastic thanks. As the camera pulls back through the window into the hog's head, Harry asks who is supposed to be meeting them, and Hermione can be heard saying that it's just a couple of people. The camera pans down over the floor and shows an aerial shot of the trio opening the door to the dirty and mostly empty pub. Ron calls it a lovely spot and a goat bleats and walks away from the bar, followed by a white-haired bearded man. Hermione explains that she thought it would be safer off the beaten track, and the scene cuts to her sitting nervously as Harry stares at her expectantly. She stands and awkwardly says hi to a group of about 20 people or so, all sitting across from them and staring silently. She tells them that they all know why they are there, stating that they need a proper teacher who has real experience defending themselves against the dark arts. And that's it. And that's it. Slightly shorter section this time, mm -hmm. because trying to figure out where to cut this longer chapter into half, and also still line it up with the movie scene that is condensed, Yeah, definitely made it a bit more of a struggle. For sure. But doesn't give us any less to talk about in the long run. No. The book chapter starts out mentioning how two weeks has gone by since Hermione brought up the whole idea of Harry teaching them defense against the dark arts. Mm-hmm. 
And in this two weeks, Harry has finished his detentions with Pepto Bitch Mall. The cut on the back of his hand is pretty much permanently etched there, and he doesn't think that's ever going to fade, and he's just going to have... Hamburger hand. Right, right. Ron has had four more Quidditch practices, and half of them he wasn't shouted at during. Hey. That is absolute progress. Definitely. They all three have managed to vanish to their mice in Transfiguration, but you know Hermione did that on day one, so... Well, yeah. So two of them. Right. The other two. I think that maybe Harry got it by the end of the first week and Ron got it on the last day. Mm -hmm. That's how I see that. That tracks. Now it's the end of September and they're all three hanging out in the library looking up potion ingredients for potions class, obviously. Mm -hmm. And Hermione decides, hey, we're in the library. Harry can't shout at us. I'm going to ask him now. (laughs) And says, have you given any more thought to defense against the dark arts? And Harry immediately says, of course I have. It's hard not to. We have class with that fucking troll every week. <laughs> and she's like, um, I actually meant you teaching us. Mm-hmm. And this time Harry doesn't answer right away. He starts to pretend like he's really interested in his page about Asiatic antivenoms. I mean, that's a stirring topic. right? Oh, there. yeah, absolutely. Sure. In reality, he just doesn't want to answer because he actually has been thinking about it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like, this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard of. And other times he's like, oh, I could teach him this mm-hmm. and I could teach him this. <gasps> we could do this. Oh, my gosh, I should get this book. <laughs> and it's just so back and forth with it. It is a roller coaster in his head, I'm sure, that he doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. And he just keeps on perusing this page until he knows that there's no way that he can pretend like it's interesting anymore and says well i have thought about it but i'm still not sure which is fair Mm -hmm. it's a big decision to make right and since he's not shouting because hermione is intelligent and brings it up in the library ron feels confident enough to say well i always thought it was a good idea (laughs) and harry says but did you listen to the part where i said it was mostly luck Valid question. I mean, he makes a point, yes. However, everything's a bit of luck. I mean, oh, for sure. Everything. Mm-hmm. Hermione says, of course we listen to you, but we also can't pretend that you're not good at defense against the dark arts because you are. Yeah. She reminds him that he's the only one who could throw off the Imperius curse completely. Yeah. He can produce a Patronus. He can do all sorts of things that fully grown wizards still can't do and she even tells him that victor always said that harry knew how to do stuff that he didn't know how to do when he was in his final year at Durmstrang in a professional fucking quidditch player yeah like you think boy would have more skills than a fourth year right i mean yeah okay it's mostly luck yes However, from that luck, he gained real-world experience. Exactly. Which, I mean, you can't learn that from a book. You can't. No. What better teacher is there? Than experience? Exactly. Than doing it? Exactly. Yeah, nothing. Literally nothing. Like, I always say this to first-year teachers. Being a teacher is so hard. Yeah. You go to school for it. You learn things to do. You practice. You do all of this stuff. You do not actually learn how to be a teacher until you're doing it. Yeah. The first year is rough because you're learning that year. Mm-hmm. And even then, things change all the time. Like, doing it is what teaches you better than anything else. Yeah, exactly. And he's done it. Mm-hmm. And he learned from it. And she just wants him to impart that knowledge on them. Yeah. But hilariously enough, 
we get a little sidetracked by Hermione mentioning Crumb. <laughs> and Ron's just like, oh, what did Vicky say? You know? <laughs> Super jealous. I bet he didn't know those things because he can't even read, you know. Boy can't read. Boy cannot read. But he does want to know if Hermione's still in contact with him. Mm-hmm. And Hermione's just like, yeah, so what if I am? I can have a pen pal if I want. He's just like, he didn't want to be only your pen pal. <laughs> I know what pen you want to be pals with. What? That was gross. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Hermione kind of rolls her eyes at him, but also just basically ignores him. Sure. Because what do you say to that? Exactly. At a certain point, you just let it go. <laughs> but she just reiterates, what do you think? Mm-hmm. So Harry's like, well, do you mean just for you and Ron? Which I feel like would be weird. Yeah. I feel like Hermione would just end up taking over in that situation. <laughs> right? Like, no, Harry, you didn't do this at that point. You did this. Do you right? remember? And I told you how to do this. But Hermione does not mean just her and Ron. She actually thinks they should open this up to as many people as possible since it's about defending themselves against Voldemort, not mm-hmm. just about passing their OWLs, which obviously that is part of it. Yeah. Harry doesn't think that anyone else would want to be taught by a nutter like him. That actually gets mentioned in the movie, but not quite in the same place. Which sounds accurate to me. Mm -hmm. That's what the movie likes to do. Par for the course. Anyway, Hermione says that he might be surprised and says that she's going to suggest anyone interested to meet them in Hogsmeade during their visit in October. Yeah, makes sense. Which makes Ron question why they have to meet outside of school, because Ron is also not in Ravenclaw. Right? The walls have ears, Ron. Hello? But Hermione just, you know, simplifies it for him, saying, I don't think Pepto Bitch Mall would be happy with us if she found out about this. This is basically the We Think Pepto Bitch Mall Sucks Club. Yeah. Doesn't roll off of the tongue as much as the name they gave it does, but. No, not It's kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're getting up to the Hogsmeade trip, and Harry is definitely looking forward to this, but he's also kind of worried that Sirius is going to try and show up anyway. Because that would be just like him. It's Sirius. Right. I mean. And he's also basically ignored them since their fire chat, which, as we know, was a couple of chapters ago and not, you know, the night before. Five minutes ago, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And not 76 frames ago, basically. And also not how it happened in the movie. Yeah, there was no request to meet them in Hogsmeade or anything. No. No petulant toddler dog father. Just Mm -hmm. gotta go. Bye. (laughs) But Harry's still worried about this and... Ron is actually pretty sympathetic towards Sirius's whole situation because, of course, he wants to get out and about. He was in Azkaban and on the run for two years, and now he's just shut up with a lunatic elf. And this makes Hermione just purse her lips. But she refrains from saying anything. She is getting really good at ignoring Ron this chapter, I think. Right. She just thinks it. Yeah. Oh, you know she thinks (laughs) it. She does not like the comment that Ron made about Creature, but just moves on and points out that the problem with Sirius is that until Voldemort comes out in the open, nobody's going to believe that he's innocent because mm-hmm. it's only Dumbledore and Harry saying that he's innocent. Yeah. So until they see Dumbledore telling the truth about Voldemort, the ministry is not going to accept that he is also telling the truth about Sirius. And even then, let's be honest, like it's one thing to believe the worst dark wizard in the world has come back. It's another to believe the serial killer that they basically caught red handed is innocent basically can be deceiving well yes it can that's why i said basically right 
Ron tries to comfort Harry, which we know is not his strong suit, by saying that he doesn't think Sirius is stupid enough to turn up, especially since Dumbledore would be pissed. And he always listens to Dumbledore, you know, except for when he doesn't. Which is all the time. <laughs> right? No, you cannot go to the platform nine and three quarters right? with Harry. I'm going to the platform of nine and three quarters with Harry. Serious no. Serious yes. yes. He does not actually listen to Dumbledore all the time. No. So Harry's still worried, naturally. Mm-hmm. And Hermione decides maybe a subject change is the way to go and tells him that she and Ron have been sounding out people that might be interested in proper defense against the dark arts classes. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple that seem interested. And I just want to stress that. She says there are a couple. Katie, how many people is a couple? I've always thought it was two. Right. Okay. We'll get back to that. I was told there would be no math in this podcast. <laughs> Harry is distracted by thoughts about Sirius, so he just says, right, and Hermione decides to try and comfort him for real, since Ron's not good at it. Mm-hmm. And it's not any better, because all she says is, don't worry about it, you already have enough on your plate. Yeah, that makes me feel better, Hermione, thanks. Yeah. Although it's not wrong, because he is barely keeping up with his homework. Mm-hmm. That has gotten better now that he's done with attentions and has apparently learned to keep his mouth shut in her classroom or presence. Yeah. However, he still has a shit ton of fucking work. That hasn't gotten any easier. No. No, not at all. And Ron is even actually further behind than Harry because in addition to, you know, all of the classes and Quidditch practices, Ron also has the prefect duties. Oh, yeah, that would suck. And then there's also, of course, Hermione, who, despite having more classes than Ron and Harry and the prefect duties, gets all of her homework finished on time and has time to knit more elf clothes. Well, I mean, she doesn't have Quidditch or detention, so... Well, Harry doesn't have detentions anymore now either, neither does Ron. But he has Quidditch. Right. But Hermione is getting so good at knitting these elf clothes that Harry can actually tell the difference between the hats and the socks now. That's impressive. So, I mean, we're talking about some serious improvement in her knitting skills, which takes time. Yeah, we've gone from knitted internal organs to things that could actually cover a head or feet. Right? So that's impressive. Right. Improvements. Mm-hmm. Takes time. Good job, Hermione. She's keeping up on everything. But anyway, the morning of the Hogsmeade visit is a very bright day, but it's windy. It's October. They get in line in front of Filch, who has to check every kid to the list that shows this kid has permission. Mm-hmm. You're not on this list. Go back to the castle, damn you. Yeah. And when Harry, Ron, and Hermione's turn is up, Filch actually gives a giant sniff of the air around Harry. Basically, just smells Harry. That's creepy. It's totally creepy, even though we know why he did it. I mean, he could legitimately have every reason in the world to sniff Harry, and it's still going to be creepy. True story. Can you imagine what it must look like to Ron and Hermione and anybody else witnessing it who have no idea what's going on? (laughs) Because, A, Filch doesn't smell anything and just lets them walk off. And as they walk away, Ron is like, why the fuck was Filch smelling (laughs) you, Harry? Like, anybody want to fill me in on what that just was? Because that was weird. Well, he gave me a new cologne. I was trying it out. He just wanted to make sure that I was wearing it. Why? Why would Filch be sniffing him? That's so weird. That's, I mean, oh, that's just (laughs) creepy. But this makes Harry realize that he never actually told them that Filch thought he was ordering dung bongs because he got so distracted by Cho Chang. 
And he fills him in on that anecdote. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I had forgotten that that was an anecdote. So. Right. Now we all remember. Yep. And Ron and Hermione are in on it as well. And Hermione, for one, finds this extremely interesting. She wants to know who tipped him off, why they would do that. Because she knows Harry's not buying him. Yeah. And it just sends her into this very deep thought that lasts the entire walk to Hogsmeade. Uh-huh. She's just, wheels are turning. She knows something is up with this. And we'll obviously find out why later in the books. Yeah. Why this was a thing. Yeah. So the casual onlooker, they might not catch on, but Hermione's just like, there's literally no reason he would have to think that. So why does he think that? Exactly. And it is a valid question. Yeah. And then, of course, there's Ron, who just thinks it's weird. Which it also is, to be fair. It is definitely both. Yeah. But anyway, they make it almost all the way to Hogsmeade, and Harry wants to know if they're going to the Three Broomsticks to meet everybody. And this pulls Hermione out of that reverie, back to the present. Mm -hmm. And she tells them that she thinks it's going to be too packed and noisy, and that she told everyone to meet them at the other pub off the main road, Hogshead, because she thinks they'll have more privacy there. I get her logic, but that could also have played out very badly for them. It kind of does, though. Well, yes, there's that, And too. we'll learn more about that later, again, in the books. Yes. There's actually no explanation in the movies as to why things go the way that they do, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Nothing, not a goddamn thing. Not a one. But they make their way down the main street of Hogsmeade that has the majority of the shops, like Zonko's Joke Shop and the post office. And mm -hmm. they make their way up a side street with a small inn at the top of it. This inn has a very battered looking wooden sign with an extremely pleasant and appetizing picture of a severed boar's head. Sure. So, it, you know, really inviting. Yeah. That screams Michelin star to me. Yeah. Five stars. <laughs> And the sign itself is also creaking as they approach. Like, everything about it just feels very ominous. Yeah. There's a lot of sus activity going very on. Very sus. Mm -hmm. This is basically where the movie comes in, as none of that other stuff actually happens in the movie. Kind of glad we didn't have to witness Filch sniffing Harry, if I'm honest. I mean, creepy, weird, ew, uh -huh. also hilarious. I'm still kind of glad we did without it. But... And it sets up some stuff that could be considered important. True, but not stuff that was previously set up for us either, though. So True. Anyway. Right here, we're going to cue some badass transitions through windows and rain until we see the snow-capped peaks of Hogsmeade. Not October at all. Nope. No, this shit, we're in winter, my friends. We have fast-forwarded. Yes, we have. We've gone from the rainy season to the snowy season, and just nothing happened in between, obviously. We then hear Harry's voice as he's being his usual glass-half-full self, saying that this idea is batshit, before we finally see the trio making their way down a not-oft-traveled narrow walkway. Which is ding-ish. Mm-hmm. So even though it's happening in a different place and at a different time, too, it's kind of reminiscent of the conversation they had in the common room. Sure. When, yeah. Yeah. When Harry was asking Hermione if she means for just him to teach her and Ron, like, mm -hmm. this is kind of where we are right now. Yeah. I'm a nutter, remember? Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
But in the movie, our boy hero continues on talking about how he doesn't even have a teaching license and no one's going to want to be taught by a guy that is known as Potter the Plotter. Because remember, when you change a letter, it's a thing. It is clever. You know? And Ron just reminds him that their other option is actually worse than him. So maybe he wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, step up, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're not going to fuck up any worse than it's already being fucked up. So, sure. Right here, we're going to cue badass transition number two as we travel through some more goddamn glass and into a rat-inhabited dive bar as Harry asks who the hell is even supposed to be meeting them. And Hermione just kind of shrugs and is like, I mean, it's like a few people. No big deal. Some people I know. Which does continue to be in line with the book. Mm -hmm. Though, obviously, we get more specific description in print than on screen. Obviously, yes. They stand outside the door. Mm-hmm. Not wanting to go in because, like we said, ominous, totally sus. Dive bar. This yeah. is where you get murdered. Right? And you know that floor is sticky. Murder bar with a sticky floor. Absolutely. That's how they catch you. <laughs> <laughs> Hermione finally just says, we have to go inside. And just opens the door, ushers them in, and Harry leads the way. And they find it's a small bar. Very dirty. Mm-hmm. Smells of goats. So it's probably rising in their estimation at this point. Yeah. It makes him think back to his first year when he was just like, how did you play cards with a dude in a cloak that never showed his face to win a suspicious dragon egg and not think any of this is weird? Puzzle pieces are starting to be put together Oh, here, yeah. You know? <laughs> he remembers Hagrid mentioning you get a lot of funny folk in the hogshead. And as he looks around, he's just like, oh... <laughs> That kind of funny. This isn't haha at all. Yeah. There's a man whose entire head is wrapped in dirty gray bandages, which... Uh, no, thank you. He's drinking something that's smoking and apparently seems to refill itself because it's just endless glasses of a smoking beverage through a slit over the mouth of the sure. bandages. Yeah. That is it. I mean, he's got to drink it somehow. There's two figures that just look like dementors like harry walks in this bar and thinks that he sees two dementors having a beer you know (laughs) except for the fact that they're talking in extremely thick yorkshire accents and that was the giveaway that they were in fact not dementors dementors need a happy hour too harry would it be a happy hour though i mean if they're sucking happiness (laughs) it'd be in everyone else's happy hour (laughs) right it's the unhappy hour let's be honest (laughs) episode title So they are, in fact, not Dementors. But there is also a witch by the fireplace wearing a thick black veil that goes all the way to her toes. So again, we have somebody not showing their face. Yep. And Harry's just like, I don't know about this, Hermione. What if it's Umbridge under that veil? That's a fair point. It is a fair point. But logical Hermione to the rescue points out that Pepto Bridge Mall is a lot shorter than that witch. I mean, there are charms. There's a lot of things that could be done, but they're lucky because that wasn't the case. (laughs) It's a shame that this really isn't included in the movie since it is actually somewhat significant later on, too. Yeah, that in the mention of the man covered in bandages. Mm hmm. That's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah. And it actually plays into another thing. Wait a minute. Wait. Ellen, are you telling me that the details matter? Is that what you're getting at? The details do matter. What? Hold on. So we will be readdressing this as they become more obviously a matter. 
Yes. At the moment, they seem insignificant, and the screenwriter apparently did not pick up on them at all to think that they needed to be included, because how hard would it have been to put a man covered in bandages in the bar and give us a good shot of him? Right. How hard would it have been to have a witch completely covered in a veil? Yeah. She could have just been there. Could have. And it just would have been neat. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Woulda loved it. Mm-hmm. But we didn't get that. So we'll talk more about that later. But anyway, in the book, Hermione is trying to calm Harry down again. Like, we're not doing anything wrong being here. I checked. We're allowed in this bar. Mm-hmm. I also looked up everything that I could about homework groups and study groups. And they're definitely allowed. I just don't think Pepto Bitchmall needs to know exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Which is basically Harry's reaction as well. And he points out that it's not exactly a homework group that they're putting together. Isn't it, though? I mean, technically, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. It's a study group of sorts. It absolutely is. It's just more hands-on. Yeah. I feel like it qualifies. It's more of open lab time. Yeah. You know? I think it counts. Mm Mm-hmm. But at this point... A grumpy and somewhat familiar-looking barman Mm -hmm. with a great deal of long gray hair and beard just kind of sidles over to him and grunts, what? And I feel like he manages to out loud say the word what, but in his head it was, what the fuck are you doing here? Mm -hmm. The fuck you want. To which Hermione places an order because mm-hmm. what else do you do when a bartender says what right what do you got on the grill right <laughs> uh goat probably can i see a Some menu vindaloo anyway hermione just orders them three butter beers and he pulls out some dusty dirty bottles from under the bar ew passes them over and just again grunts i'm sure six sickles mm-hmm. which was our trivia question it sure was and i don't think that harry wanted them to stand up there any longer than they had to because he was just like, I got this. And he just passes over those sickles, gets his scar briefly looked at. Although, kudos to the barman for not actually saying anything about it. Yeah, there is that. He just takes the money, turns away. Mm -hmm. I should say he just takes the money, glances at the scar, and turns away. Sure, yeah. In the movie, it's actually Ron who points out the shitholeness of the place in the way that only he can. And Hermione tries to explain her thought process, saying that she didn't think that holding a meeting like this in the middle of the three broomsticks was a very solid plan. What with the current school regime and whatnot. So, slightly different, but still corresponds. Yeah. Dingy-ish. Ding-adjacent? In the book, the trio goes to the table furthest from the bar. Maybe it smells less like goats over there, I don't know. Maybe. And they sit down, and then they look around. Ron gets this brilliant idea that they could get away with anything in this bar (laughs) and thinks, maybe I'll go order some fire whiskey. And by thinks, I mean he says that one out loud. Yeah. Which makes Hermione go, you are a prefect. Not right now, I'm not. No, Ron says, oh yeah, right. (laughs) But what he was thinking was, not right now, I'm not. Right. Left my badge back at the dorm. Yep. He probably didn't, though. No. I don't think Hermione would let him. I was saying, he probably tried to, and then Hermione was like, oh, you forgot your badge. forgot your badge. But probably to change the subject and prevent yet another argument to pop up between them, 
Harry asks them who they're supposed to be meeting. And again, Hermione says, oh, you know, just a couple of people. They should be here any minute. And again, Katie, how many is a couple? Uh, well, I want to carry the one. Two. Yeah. So at these words, cue the door opening. Not a couple. Mm-mm. A couple of couples. A couple of couple of couples. Yeah. A couple of couple of couples. A crowd comes through that door. And I already listed this off in the summary, but I just feel like I need to do it again. Just for emphasis. We have Neville, Dean, Lavender, Parvati, Padma, Cho, and one of her friends. Luna, Ginny, the entire Gryffindor Quidditch team. Lee Jordan, Colin and Dennis Creedy, who shouldn't actually be there at all because Dennis is not yet old enough to go to Hogsmeade, but that is a different topic. Facts. Ernie McMillan, Justin Finch-Fletchley, Hannah Abbott, a Hufflepuff that Harry Potter doesn't know, but we're about to meet next episode, three Ravenclaw boys called Anthony Goldstein, Michael Corner, and Terry Boot, and a blonde boy that Harry doesn't actually know the name of, but does recognize from the Hufflepuff Quidditch team. Hmm. No Slytherins? Shocking, right? Interesting. As he should, he turns to Hermione and says, Hermione, how many do you think a couple is? (laughs) And Hermione just smiles and says, well, the idea was quite popular and I didn't want to overwhelm you. So I just said a couple, even though it's actually 25. When really it was just like, she thought it was two people, but they were all just stacked on each other under a trench coat. Apparently. You know? (laughs) She has Ron get more chairs, and the barman just does the best imitation of a goat in headlights. <laughs> For fuck's sake, Ellen. So like I said, 25 people, which we learn when Fred counts everybody and orders 25 butterbeers, which I'm not going to lie, I am genuinely surprised that they even had 25 butterbeers. I mean, they were probably held off from the last war. <laughs> That's <laughs> my guess. Yeah. But... The very irritated barman who's probably never had to deal with this many people in his bar at one time ever, 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 ever mm-hmm. begins passing them out over the bar. And he liked it that way. Uh, Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and Fred starts telling everybody to cough up the money because they do not have the gold mm-hmm. to buy everybody butterbeers because this is what? 25 times 2. Again, I was told there would be no math. Yeah, it's going to be like 50 sickles. Sure. Whatever you say, man. Just tell me what I owe you and I'll Venmo you. <laughs> but yeah, so he's just like, I am not going to pay for all of these butterbeers because if they're two sickles each and we got 25 people, that's 50 sickles. And you know what math I'm not going to do? I'll do that math. I am not going to figure out how many sickles that is to the galleons that way because those are weird numbers. And the Hermione in me is totally going to figure this out later when I have a calculator, but not right now off the top of my head. Let's call it a couple of galleons and just say that's it. Perfect. So Harry's watching all of this go down, overwhelmed as fuck, because Mm -hmm. A, that's not a couple people, and B, is he going to have to talk to them? I mean, it kind of goes with the whole teacher thing. Right? So he turns to Hermione and he says, what have you been telling them? Oh, nothing much. And Hermione puts on her soothing voice and says, they just want to hear what you have to say and you don't even have to do anything yet. I'm going to talk to him first. He'll be fine. Neville takes the seat opposite Harry and smiles as he says hi. So Mm -hmm. this is a little bit of encouragement for Harry. Like Neville's just like, you got this, man. Harry tries to smile back, but he finds that he can't say hi at all because his mouth has just gone drier than dry. Right. Hate that cotton mouth. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
Cho also smiles at him, and whereas this would normally make him say Cho Chang, he can't. He is just probably also a goat in headlights. Right. The opposite of the Neville effect happens and he just starts drooling. Right. (laughs) Too much in his mouth to say hi at that point. Whoa, (laughs) ma'am. But Cho's friend, some curly strawberry blonde chick, Mm -hmm. gives Harry a very mistrustful look, which probably then dries his mouth back out. Yeah. So he's just on this emotional stressful roller coaster coaster of what is about to happen here and everybody gets themselves settled in all of the chairs that ron had to drag around and they all just stare right at harry whose mouth is now at a sahara level of dryness Mm -hmm. at this point i don't even think the butterbeer could fix it no but hermione to the rescue she speaks out to greet everyone and everyone turns to look at her instead although they do occasionally like look over at harry Mm mm-hmm We all know who they're really here to see. Right. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. But Hermione is the one addressing them, so they pay attention to what she's saying as she starts off telling them that they all know why they're there. Mm -hmm. She had, actually, she started to say that Harry had the idea and he like looks at her like, no, I didn't. (laughs) Don't let me into this. The fuck you say? I am here in teal duct tape and zip ties. I did not. Don't call it kidnapping. Right. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So Hermione corrects herself to say, well, I had the idea Mm -hmm. that we should get people together who want to really study Defense Against the Dark Arts because the bullshit that Pepto Bitchmall is teaching them isn't even remotely Defense Against the Dark Arts. Yeah. Again, the movie is somewhat similar, but I mean, at least it still lines up. Yeah, there's that. It definitely makes it easier to keep things in line when they at least happen at similar times and we can choose where to cut the chapter and movie scenes off. Right? (laughs) But Hermione suddenly starts to rethink her idea for a moment and definitely wishes she would have worn her brown pants before standing up in front of the few people, see I can use air quotes too, Mm -hmm. that she invited, which consists of more than a dozen fellow students who are all looking at her expectantly. It is definitely a ding. Mm Mm-hmm. To be fair, a good chunk are Weasleys, so that probably makes things a little easier for her. But the rest just seem to be one wrong word away from turning every last one of these traitors into Umbridge to save their own ass. Yeah, but I think this differs slightly from the book, but only in that there were more people that seemed open and supportive of the meeting than the movie portrayed. Yeah. But I also think that it's a far funnier visual to have all of the blank, intimidating faces staring at Harry and Hermione. So that could be why they did it that way. True. I guess so. Because it was just that awkward moment of silence where it was like the camera pans over all of these faces that were just like, dance for us, monkey. Right. (laughs) What you got? Bring it. Hermione then tells them that totes obs, they need a real teacher who's going to really teach since that shit isn't currently happening. And preferably, this prof should have some legit experience with real-world badass evil. Right. And that's basically where we ended the book chapter, too, with her just being like, we need to be taught by a teacher who's actually going to teach us defense against the dark arts, not by Pepto Bitchmall. Yeah. And we're going to cut it here because, hey, it lines up and the episode now won't be too long because this was only about half of the chapter, less than half of the movie scene, and... It's probably going to be right in that 45 minutes to an hour long episode that I strive for. So right in that sweet spot. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
So here's where we stop and we will continue with chapter 16 next week. Yes. And we didn't have any new actors this week, so... Yeah, because the one person that we did see was Aberforth, and he's not even the one that they used in the long run, and we didn't know who that was. And... Yeah, and he didn't have any lines. Yeah, it was he just... walked, he followed a goat. Yeah. That was it. Which, I mean, a whole slew of fanfics have been written about that walk, but... Yeah. That's not the point. So anyway, we're going to go right on to our Potter pondering, which is, what are your thoughts on the bandaged wizard and the veiled witch being left out of Hogshead? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts, or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Tabitha Dial. She writes, I didn't experience Harry Potter until a visit to a lifelong friend. She was in Germany at the time. She was an instructor at a school and snuck me in with her to their theater where she showed me the first movie on the big screen. A few minutes into experiencing Hagrid and I whispered, it's so good. I knew I'd changed forever. I've been sorted into Gryffindor via the Pottermore site. I feel it suits me because I can be pretty loud and can crave the spotlight. My birth chart shows my north node is in Leo, the lion. Coincidence? I love to joke and sing. That's big Leo energy. Your north node is what you're meant to aspire to embody for your higher purpose and for everyone's benefit. The wand I use most is very simple. It's compact. It's called a palm wand and was made by my friend Thomas Freeze here in Kentucky. The wood is pink ivory, which is said to have spiritual healing properties. I use it for tea leaf readings. It's the easiest way to point to images in the cup. My Patronus is a calico cat. Again, I put my fate in the hands of Pottermore. I've loved cats most of my life, and they've lived on the fringes of my home the last few years. This fandom has opened a lot of doors for me. I started reading tea about a dozen years ago. I've admired cosplay for years, and Professor Trelawney has been perfect for me. I spent my second year teaching tea reading classes, doing private readings, and sharing my book, Creative Divination, Read Tea Leaves and Develop Your Personal Code, at the Ironton Wizard Fest, year two. I wish to reiterate the fandom adage that no one should have to live in a closet, and I support trans rights. I also have bipolar. I've lived nearly ten years with my diagnosis. Most of it has been smooth. I'm lucky to have support, healthcare, and proper meds. Working on what I love and interacting with other Harry Potter fans are a couple of healthy mechanisms that instill hope and keep my brain from convincing me I should be depressed. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Tabitha. Yes, thank you so much. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, what does Luna say Fudge has a private army of? The first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag no he hasn't will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it.
Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon, because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 16 in the Hogshead and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calm and Harry on! Oh, for fuck's sake.